Chapter Thirty of Whispering Smith by Frank Spearman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty: The Fight in the Cash. A clear night and a good moon made a long ride possible, and the Crawling Stone contingent, headed by Stormy Gorman, began coming into the railroad camp by three o'clock the next morning. With them rode the two youngs who had lost the trail they followed across Goose River and joined the cowboys on the road to the north. The party divided under Kennedy and Smith, who rode through the door into the cache just before daybreak. "'I don't know what I'm steering you against this morning, Farrell,' said Whispering Smith. "'Certainly I should hate to run you into De Sang, but we can't tell where we shall strike him.' If we've laid out our work right, I ought to see him as soon as anybody does. Accidents do happen, but remember he will never be any more dangerous than he is at the first moment. Get him to talk. He gets nervous if he can't shoot right away. When you pull, get a bullet into his stomach at the start, if you possibly can, to spoil his aim. We mustn't make the mistake of underestimating him. Rebstock is right. He's a fright with a revolver, and Sinclair and Sigrew are the only men in the mountains that can handle a rifle with him. Now we split here, and good luck. Don't you want to take Bill Young with you? You take both the Youngs, Farrell. We shall be among rocks, and if he tries to rush us, there's cover. Stormy Gorman with four Crawling Stone cowboys followed Whispering Smith. Every rider on the range had a grievance against William's cash and any of them would be glad to undertake reprisals against the rustlers under the wing of whispering smith just how in the mountains without telegraph newspapers and all ordinary means of publicity news travels so fast may not certainly be said the scattered lines of telephone wires help but news outstrips the wires moreover there are no telephones in the mission mountains but on the morning that the round-up party rode into the cache it was known in the streets of medicine bend that the tower w men had been tracked into the north country that some if not all of them were in williams cache that an ultimatum had been given and that whispering smith and kennedy had already ridden in with their men to make it good whispering smith with the cowboys took the rough country to the left, and Kennedy and his party took the south prong to the Cache Creek. The instructions were to make a clean sweep as the line advanced. Behind the center rode three men to take stock driven in from the wings. Word that was brief but reasonable had been sent everywhere ahead. Every man, it was promised, that could prove property should have a chance to do so at the door that day and the next but any brands that showed stolen cattle or that had been skinned or tampered with in any way were to be turned over to the stock association for the benefit of owners the very first pocket raided started a row and uncovered eighty head of five-year-old steers bearing a mutilated duck bar brand it was like poking at rattlesnakes to undertake to clean out the grassy retreats of the cache, but the work was pushed on in spite of protests, threats, and resistance. Every man that rode out openly to make a protest was referred calmly to Rebstock, and before very long Rebstock's cabin had more men around it than had been seen together in the cache for years. 
the impression that the whole jig was up and that the refugees had been sold out by their own boss was one that no railroad man undertook to discourage the cowboys insisted on the cattle with the assurance that Rebstock could explain everything by noon the cash was in an uproar the cowboys were riding carefully and their guards rifles in hand were watching the corners ahead of the slowly moving line with the growing bunch of cattle behind it flourished as it were rather conspicuously fugitive riders dashed back and forth with curses and yells across the narrow valley if it had been whispering smith's intention to raise a large-sized row it was apparent that he had been successful Rebstock, driven to desperation, held council after council to determine what to do. Sorties were discussed, ambushes considered, and a pitched battle was planned. But while ideas were plentiful, no one aspired to lead an attack on Whispering Smith. Moreover, William's cash, it was conceded, would in the end be worsted if the company and the cowmen together seriously undertook with men and unlimited money to clean it out whispering smith's party had no explanation to offer for the round-up but when Rebstock made it known that the fight was over sending out dusang the rage of the rustlers turned on dusang again however no man wanted to take up personally with dusang the question of the reasonableness of whispering smith's demand instead of doing so they fell on Rebstock and demanded that if he were boss he make good and send de sang out of all this commotion the railroad men saw only the outward indications as the excitement grew on both sides there was perhaps a little more of display in the way the cattle were run in especially when some long-lost bunch was brought to light and welcomed with yells from the center a steer was killed at noon everybody fed and the line moved forward the wind which had slept in the sunshine of the morning rose in the afternoon and the dust whirled with little clouds where men or animals moved from the center two men had gone back with the cattle gathered up to that time and bill dancing with smith stormy gorman and two of the cowboys were heading a draw to cross to the north side of the cache when three men rode out into the road five hundred yards ahead and halted whispering smith spoke there come our men stop here this ground in front of us looks good to me they may have chosen something over there that suits them better Feel your guns, and we'll start forward slowly. Don't take your eyes off the bunch, whatever you do. Bill, you go back and help the men with the cattle. There will be four of us against three, then. Not for mine, said Bill, dancing bluntly. You may need help from an old fool yet. I'll see you through this and look after the cattle afterward. Then, Stormy, one or two of you go back urged whispering smith speaking to the cowboy foreman without turning his eyes there's no need of five of us in this but stormy swore violently you go back yourself exclaimed stormy when he could control his feelings we'll bring them fellows in for you in ten minutes with their hands in the air i know you would i know it 
but I'm paid for this sort of thing, and you're not, and I advise no man to take unnecessary chances. If you all want to stay, why stay? But don't ride ahead of the line and let me do all the talking. See that your guns are loose. You'll never have but one chance to pull, and don't pull till you're ready. The albino is riding in the middle now, isn't he? And a little back, playing for a quick drop. Watch him. Who's that on the right? Can it be George Sigrew? Well, this is a bunch, and I guess Carg is with them. Holding their horses to a slow walk, the two parties gingerly approached each other. When the cash riders halted, the railroad riders halted, and when the three rode, the five rode. But the three rode with absolute alignment and acted as one, while Whispering Smith had trouble in holding his men back until the two lines were fifty feet apart. By this time the youngest of the cowboys had steadied and was thinking hard. Whispering Smith halted. In perfect order and sitting their horses as if they were riding parade, the horses ambling at a snail's pace, the cash riders advanced in the sunshine like one man. When Dusang and his companions reined up, less than twelve feet separated the two lines. In his tan shirt, Dusang, with his yellow hair, his white eyelashes, and his narrow face, was the least impressive of the three men. The Norwegian, Sigru, rode on the right, his florid blood showing under the tan of his neck and arms. He spoke to the cowboys from the ranch, and on the left the young fellow Karg, with the broken nose, black-eyed and alert, looked the men over in front of him and nodded to dancing. Dusang and his companions wore short-armed shirts. Rifles were slung at their pommels, and revolvers stuck in their hip scabbards. Whispering Smith, in his dusty suit of khaki, was the only man in either line who showed no revolver, but a hammerless or muley savage rifle hung beside his pommel. Dusang, blinking, spoke first. Which of you fellows is heading this round-up? I'm heading the round-up, said Whispering Smith. Why? Have we got some of your cattle? The two men spoke as quietly as schoolteachers. Whispering Smith's expression in no way changed, except that as he spoke he lifted his eyebrows a little more than usual. Dusang looked at him closely as he went on. What kind of a way is this to treat anybody? To ride into a valley like this and drive a man's cows away from his door without notice or papers? Is your name Smith? My name is Smith. Yours is Dusang. Yes, I'll tell you, Dusang. I carry an inspector's card from the Mountain Stock Association. Do you want to see it? When we get these cattle to the door, any man in the cash may come forward and prove his property. I shall leave instructions to that effect when we go, for I want you to go to Medicine Bend with me to sang as soon as convenient, and the men that are with me will finish the round-up. What do you want me for? There's no papers out against me, is there? No, but I'm an officer to sang. I'll see to the papers. I want you for murder. So they tell me. Well, you're after the wrong man. 
but i'll go with you i don't care about that neither do i do saying and as you have some friends along i won't break up the party they may come too what for for stopping a train at tower w saturday night the three men looked at one another and laughed du sang with an oath spoke again the men you want are in canada by this time i can't speak for my friends i don't know whether they want to go or not as far as i'm concerned i haven't killed anybody that i know of i suppose you'll pay my expenses back why yes to sang if you were coming back i would pay your expenses but you're not coming back you're writing down william's cash for the last time you've ridden down it too many times already this round-up is especially for you don't deceive yourself when you ride with me this time out of the cash you won't come back du sang laughed but his blinking eyes were as steady as a cat's it did not escape whispering smith's notice that the meddlesome horses ridden by the outlaws were continually working around to the right of his party he spoke amiably to karg if you can't manage that horse karg i can play fair it looks to me as if you and de sang are getting ready to run for it and leave george seagrew to shoot his way through alone du sang with some annoyance intervened that's all right i'll go with you i'd rather see your papers but if you're whispering smith it's all right i'm due to shoot out a little game some time with you at medicine Bend anyway any time du sang only don't let your hand wobble next time it's too close to your gun now to pull right well i told you i was going to come didn't i and i'm coming now with the last word he whipped out his gun there was a crash of bullets questioned once by mccloud and reproached for taking chances whispering smith answered simply i have to take chances he said all i ask is an even break but kennedy had said there was no such thing as an even break with whispering smith a few men in a generation amuse baffle and mystify other men with an art based on the principle that the action of the hand is quicker than the action of the eye with whispering smith the drawing of a revolver and the art of throwing his shots instantly from wherever his hand rested was pure sleight of hand to a dexterity so fatal he added a judgment that had not failed when confronted with deceit from the moment that du sang first spoke smith convinced that he meant to shoot his way through the line waited only for the moment to come when du sang's hand moved like a flash of light whispering smith who was holding his coat lapels in his hands struck his pistol from the scabbard over his heart and threw a bullet at him before he could fire as a conjurer throws a vanishing coin into the air spurring his horse fearfully as he did so he dashed at du sang and karg leaped his horse through their line and wheeling at arm's length shot again bill dancing jumped in his saddle swayed and toppled to the ground stormy gorman gave a single whoop at the spectacle and with his two cowboys at his heels fled for life more serious than all smith found himself among three fast revolvers working from an unmanageable horse 
the beast tried to follow the fleeing cowboys and when faced sharply about showed temper the trained horses of the outlaws stood like statues but smith had to fight with his horse bucking at every shot he threw his bullets as best he could first over one shoulder and then over the other and used the last cartridge in his revolver with Dusang, Sigru, and Karg shooting at him every time they could fire without hitting one another. It was not the first time the Williams Cash gang had sworn to get him and had worked together to do it, but for the first time it looked as if they might do it. A single chance was left whispering Smith for his life, and with his coat slashed with bullets he took it. For an instant his life hung on the success of a trick so appallingly awkward that a cleverer man might have failed in turning it. If his rifle should play free in the scabbard as he reached for it, he could fall to the ground, releasing it as he plunged from the saddle, and make a fight on his feet. If the rifle failed to release, he was a dead man. To so narrow an issue are the cleverest combinations sometimes brought by chance. He dropped his empty revolver, ducked like a mud hen on his horse's neck, threw back his leg, and with all the precision he could summon, caught the grip of his muley in both hands. He made his fall heavily to the ground, landing on his shoulder. But as he keeled from the saddle, the last thing that rolled over the saddle like the flash of a porpoise fin was the barrel of the rifle secure in his hands karg on horseback was already bending over him revolver in hand but the shot was never fired a thirty-thirty bullet from the ground knocked the gun into the air and tore every knuckle from karg's hand dusang spurred in from the right a rifle slug like an axe at the root caught him through the middle his fingers stiffened his six-shooter fell to the ground and he clutched his side sigru ducking low put spurs to his horse and whispering smith covered with dust rose on the battlefield alone hats revolvers and coats lay about him face downward the huge bulk of bill dancing was stretched motionless in the road Karg, crouching beside his fallen horse, held up the bloody stump of his gun-hand, and Dusang, fifty yards away, reeling like a drunken man in his saddle, spurred his horse in an aimless circle. Whispering Smith, running softly to the side of his own trembling animal, threw himself into the saddle, and adjusting his rifle sights as the beast plunged down the draw, gave chase to Seagrew. End of chapter 30